Welcome back to Sports and Society in 2020. How you doing, Carl? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be back. This is something I miss when we're not doing it, and I love when we are doing it. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, same here. It's definitely, I find that I don't uh, process my sports in the same way. So it's a... Uh, I'm intrigued to figure out uh, how we're going to make me give up another sport this coming year. So, <laughs> I agree. It, it, it's a it's a truism that talking about it gives it meaning. Mm-hmm. As in, uh, I, I'm watching differently when I know that we're going to talk, uh, and then after we talk, I watch differently as well. So the meaning there is because of the conversation, which is something I value and believe in. Well, it's interesting as well. I think there's just some value always in verbalizing and putting out your feelings on these things. I mean, I don't know how many folks I've talked to about this football thing that um, are very uncomfortable when I mention it because they feel very similarly and yet they've not made it external. And so in some ways that doesn't make it real for them, which I think is an interesting development. I agree. And it makes me think about and I'm fascinated by that there is an audience even though it's like <laughs> I don't know if we could call it that's too kind I don't think we have an audience I don't think we, we have, have a, we have a few people who have stumbled upon us yeah hi uh, Jeff how you doing <laughs> yeah what's up Josh <laughs> um uh McKay is McKay my partner is a devout listener so I, she gets a major shout out to you um my my partner Sarah does not listen and will never listen. So, <laughs> um, but that that piece is important to me too. Just of it, it's fascinating to feel how my brain switches over and how I communicate differently, knowing that someone's listening. And so mm-hmm. it does feel like a broader conversation. As in, I look forward to a text from Josh after he listens to an episode telling me what he thought about the episode. And mm-hmm. then I'm in conversation with him. Um, Agreed. Uh, so, Agreed. Yeah, that's fun. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, get back on the old horse here. And why don't you tell me what you've been thinking about this past week, man? I was completely and am still completely captivated by the Jeopardy Greatest of All Time tournament. So what they have done, if you haven't paid attention, is they've brought together three what they are calling the greatest of all time. It's, like many other things in sports, complicated to even land on those three. And they're all three... All three of them are there for different reasons. Uh, so James Hauser um, is there because he has the highest like single day totals, and he was so compelling and fascinating to watch um, when he was on his most recent streak. But even his streak paled in comparison to Ken Jennings, who is the other guest. I think he won like 74 straight. Uh, and then Bert, I just forgot his last name, uh, has the highest totals ever. And or he he's won more money over time than anybody else, and so all three of them are playing until someone wins three games. So right now Ken has two and James has one, and the other guy hasn't um, won any yet. But hmm. they're playing two rounds at a time, and so it's hour long episodes. 
And a few things stand out to me. One is just how incredible they are at Jeopardy. They they really are the greatest of all time. And it's kind of a a rare thing in any sort of sporting world where you truly can get like the three greatest of a long period of time all together competing at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, like we can't watch LeBron James and Michael Jordan play against each other. That's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to have all three of them there in one one space is fascinating. They all have they all have their own style of play, which is interesting. So like getting into the nuance of what it takes to beat the game and then to beat a competitor. And they all three have talked about how hard it has been to calm down and to balance playing against the other greatest of all time and playing against the game itself. Whereas when they were on their streaks, they just played against the game. Uh, so James said it was almost 99% playing against the game when he was on his streak, but he says it's 50-50 now playing against mm-hmm. the greatest of all time. Uh, but it's the sporting element that I think really stands out to me. And many of the articles I've read about the tournament are sa- are like written from the standpoint of, is this a sport? Mm-hmm. And that they're writing from that standpoint is what's interesting to me because the answer is so obvious to me. I'm like, of course this is a sport. Uh, And of the many things that make it a sport, the one that stands out to me is the buzzer. And in the the first two rounds, uh, none of them missed a question. And that leads you to believe that all three of them probably knew the answer to a single and uh, or knew the question to a single answer probably like 95 percent of the time it was just who got the buzzer right is what it was all about hmm. uh, and so in that way it, it's a it's a small athletic feat but it has all the components of an athletic feat uh, and so that it comes down to a buzzer contest is pretty fascinating too and all that goes into that buzzer so at any rate it's all just really fascinating to me it is. Well, and it's, um, you know, I've been, um, it, it, it's all fascinating from many different levels. You're absolutely right. Because I think about, um, you know, the history of Jeopardy and the lack of depreciable skills. Um, and so you get those situations where, you know, you can have these guys all together. Um, and of course, it's also the length of the game, right? So in some ways, in 50 years, there'll potentially be someone else on Jeopardy that won't be we won't be able to see them compete, but right now to have them all there and have right. this cultural moment is pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah. And they, the ratings are higher than the NBA finals and the world series. Hmm. So they've averaged over 15 million viewers for each of the rounds. Uh, and the NBA finals averaged like 14 million and the world series. Was at like 11 million? Hmm. So they're getting better viewership than these stalwarts of American masculine sports, which is pretty exciting to you. Hmm. Well, I think um, so. I have some of the same questions, so we'll talk a little bit more about my chess goals for the coming year. But um, there's a lot of folks that wouldn't consider chess a sport, I don't believe, you know. But uh, there's been some conversations about them in the Olympics. But there's some staggering statistics out here about a chess player burning. 6,000 calories a day when they're playing in a tournament. 
Yeah. Um, and there's a famous story of uh, the 1984 World Chess Championship was called off after five months and 48 games because the defending champion lost 22 pounds and he looked like he was going to die. Right. Um, and so, like, these sports, uh, these things take an incredible toll. And there's mental things I think we have to realize that we diminish the mental capacity of basketball and football when reality is that they're incredibly mentally draining uh, in the same way that some of these other sports are and that those sports are more physically draining than I think we think they are. Right, right. Yeah, it, it, uh, I was just watching Magnus play. Uh, it was that speed round that he played that was contested mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. a teenager, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Ali Reza, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, even those those speed rounds, especially too, are maybe misleading in that those maybe appear to have like more of a physical component, but I think it's those long, <laughs> drawn out games that you're mentioning that are actually the real test. And these Jeopardy rounds are similar. They've all three of them have talked about how hard it is to play two games back to back. Um, well, to maintain that focus level for that long, and you know, with exactly, the, you know, in some ways, with that chess, you you know, you're going to make sixty moves over two hours, three hours. But in that uh, Jeopardy round, you're going to have to make really quick decisions and quick movements the entire time. Exactly, uh, which is yeah, I can't imagine the strain of that. Um, I haven't read much about it yet. I haven't seen anyone take it on, but I feel like it's worth pointing out that it's three white men. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. and that Jeopardy seemingly is available to and curtails uh, its entity <laughs> kind of to the white man seems worth pointing out. Um, hmm. That's but. interesting. I can see some really uh, true ways that that could come to fruition, but it's also, yeah. um, it, it's interesting from my perspective to think about um, there was a time that I used to be interested in being good at Jeopardy, and mm-hmm. I no longer have any interest in being. <laughs> 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 there are things I'm interested in doing, and spending a lot of time using tri- learning trivia that I don't need to know is not high on the list. Perhaps right. that is because my amount of trivia that I know now has not proven to be very helpful in living my life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there is something, there's a draw to it, but it's also uh, maybe meaningless in a whole lot of ways. Which is part of what maybe makes it a sport, that if it were too relevant, then it wouldn't be, right. uh, it wouldn't be a game anymore. Right, so. then we dip into that, the political side of it probably more so. Yeah. But what about you? What are you paying attention to? So I've been... Um, you know, the this saga that is Arsenal soccer, Arsenal Football Club at the moment has been gripping me as a fan and I just don't know what to make of it. I'm hopeful with Arteta, but it's just it's not a not a fun place to be a fan right now. But I've been intrigued by the soccer world in general, um in many ways. A the parody that seems to exist right now and the fact that how you put together a team matters more than anything else right now. So star players seem to matter very little versus uh, composition of teams. Um, mm-hmm. And so you see teams like Leicester that have very few team name uh, names on the team that are out-competing uh, teams with, with top 10 players in the world on them, um, which is really interesting also from the level of now we've just had the FIFA Team of the Year come out, which is the FIFA video games uh, 
11 best players for the year, um, which was notable because they gave Van Dyke, Virgil Van Dyke, as a defender, the first ever 99 rating for a defender in the game, which is the highest you can get, which I think is uh, a fascinating development. But it's also fascinating that this video game is deciding these things and it is largely considered one of the biggest um, and most important cultural forces in soccer is this game. And it makes me wonder how much uh, it would have changed uh, if it were, how much soccer would be different if we weren't viewing it through the lens of FIFA. Mm-hmm. There's so much in there. The one thing that I'm thinking of is I've happened upon a video on uh, Liverpool, Liverpool's YouTube channel, hmm. and it was Van Dyke walking around their facilities handing out the personalized packaging from FIFA for each player with a copy of the game and like a gold-plated version of their rating uh, and all their statistics. Um, and it's, uh, it, it precisely captured what you're talking about of like, what is this? <laughs> what is happening that arguably like the, one of the top three players in the world is walking around handing out video games on mm-hmm. YouTube and I'm watching it uh, and finding it meaningful. Uh, but I was struck by digging in a little bit more of how truly incredible Van Dyke is statistically uh, and that there even exists the metrics for measuring the efficiency of a defender mm-hmm. like they exist uh, is so involved and uh, his statistics are truly incredible and kind of work to um, illuminate or at least affirm what a viewer sees is in that, wow, this guy is really good at soccer. Um, well, it's stuck. I think when I think that team, right? So, I mean, I think it's uh, I think there's a really strong case to be made that this Liverpool team is perhaps the best team we've seen in the last five years in world soccer. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that so much of that is built off of him. Um, mm-hmm. You've got these amazing fullbacks, Alexander-Arnold, the best fullbacks in the world, Alexander-Arnold and Robertson. Um, but they're allowed to do what they do because Virgil van Dyke is back there and will clean up anything that happens when they push forward. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting. Then on the front, you've got Sadio Mane, who I was amazed yesterday. His defensive work rate yesterday was phenomenal. He won at least three tackles that I saw and was like, what is this guy? Why, why can't mm-hmm. I have him on my team as the striker yep. back there doing that work? Yeah. Um, and that kind of, those kind of backbones can make the whole team work, but you have to have the right people around them. And so it's amazing now to have Alexander Arnold be able to show what he can do with his right foot. Um, but it's all like comes from having the right pieces around him. And Jordan Henderson somehow who gets no acclaim, I think makes the whole thing work in some way in the middle. And, um, Jordan Henderson is not doing anything that I'm wowed by, and yet it it all fulcrums around him in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what they are achieving is, like you said, really incredible. Uh, it's this kind of like perfect recipe, isn't it? It's like everywhere you mm-hmm. look, you find evidence of all that you would want for your team if you were a fan of a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the, I mean, from Jurgen Klopp being this dynamic, charismatic, gregarious, really lovable, affable guy. Uh, And then you've got Mo Salah, this striker that uh, 
maybe isn't scoring at the clip he has in the past, but he's dangerous all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have a certain amount of like celebrity and swagger that they seemingly handle really well. Uh, And then for Van Dyke, I think in addition to all what the statistics pick up, but just watching them play, he's coaching almost the whole game. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I find that like really compelling and um, it, it's, it, it almost generates a certain amount of like admiration <laughs> of like watching and just being admiring what he's doing um, because it comes with so much confidence. Well, and it's like watching what... him play is watching someone that's like, you are really, really, really confident, um, which I think says a lot. Well, yeah, I think it's interesting because I juxtapose that same thing with our bit of frustration when we see players in the NBA trying to chat each other up and tell each other what to do. And that just seems fake. Whereas with someone like Van Dyke, it seems like, oh yeah, okay, we're going to listen to what this guy has to say. Um, Mm. It's a different type of feeling in some ways than when I see, you know, LeBron getting up into someone's chest when they're just looking off into the stands and not engaged in the interaction. Right. That's a great point. that makes me want to be a journalist and like have access to Van Dyke and ask him like and his teammates and stuff like what what's working here? Why is this working? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you talk about the confidence. Klopp has just instilled that team with so much confidence. They're not worried about anything, um, right? Which is I don't know how you do that, but he's a master class in leadership in some ways. I'd argue. Yeah, I agree. That's why I watch those videos of them in training and stuff it, that's what i'm watching for and i'm always drawn to them like every when i think to watch them i like get excited that i remembered because it's compelling to watch the interpersonal dynamics in those videos um well that's where i'm even, always intrigued after the game everyone's all of his players seem to want to come up and congratulate him after the game which is not something i see from right. other managers yep i agree yeah, that, watch that video. It's it's really fascinating. <laughs> oh my! All right. Well, this um, kind of our main topic as we dive into it this week are what are our sports goals for 2020? And we've left this kind of vague, but uh, it sounds like I have not heard Carl's yet. But it sounds like we're in somewhat of the same boat here. But uh, do you want to kick us off with your first one, Kyle? Sure. They're in. No particular order. So the one that is standing out to me is uh, incorporating new sports uh, that have bypassed me for whatever reason. I think uh, what stands out to me as a reason for missing out on a sport up to this point in my life is not putting in the work to find out what's going on in other parts of the world. And I think that's on me, but it's also uh, revealing of what I would call just like the hyper-masculine American sporting dynamic uh, that we were raised in. Um, So football, basketball, baseball. And so getting beyond those three things takes a little bit of work. And whenever I've done it, it's brought a whole lot of joy and I've learned a lot and for multicultural reasons, it opens up uh, more 
nuanced and compelling and interesting conversations on race and class and justice. And it also is just fun uh, to learn about a new sport and what goes on in that sport. So um, in the past, most, most recently would be getting into cycling and chess and cricket uh, and even Formula One these past couple of years. Uh, which is actually segue to another one of my goals, but I'll come back to that. Um, and so in the forefront for me, I caught a little bit of uh, the Women's Rugby World Cup, which mm. is actually not called the Women's Rugby World Cup. They just call it the Rugby World Cup uh, as of 2019. Mm. And I, I felt that same thing I felt when I've gotten into other sports, um, and where it's just like, well, there is a lot happening here that I don't know about, yet it is compelling. And so I got that kind of same excitement of, uh, what could I learn about this year? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think Rugby World Cup is up there. And then I was also uh, really swayed by the interesting story of Fallon Sherrock, the first woman to beat a man in darts. Mm-hmm. And... I've seen British coverage of darts before and it similarly fascinated me. I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> this is a, a world where I just have no anchors to know what's happening, but nonetheless felt the excitement of it. Uh, so I think uh, rugby is something I want to get into a little bit and just kind of explore. And then same with darts. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, that kind of feeds into one of mine, which is to watch more cricket, um, which was my revelation of last year that, um, man, I just enjoyed um, the World Cup uh, so much, uh, and I want to get more into that. And so it's the same kind of fascination that when you see something different, but I think it's, um, I might speak for both of us here, that I think we uh, have a natural curiosity. And so I've said before that I don't care anything about fashion week in New York, but I bet if I read five articles in an afternoon on fashion week, I'd become very fascinated in what was going on with that. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but I'm choosing sports cause it's a little more inherently interesting to me. And so cricket is definitely on my list of things I want to watch more, of. but it's interesting. Rugby is a, I really enjoyed rugby, but I have some, I'll be interested to see if you, uh, walk away with some of the same feelings I have about it in terms of uh, similarities to football and such. Yeah, I I agree. I I think in the last few years I've avoided an, an opportunity to explore it more for that same reason of like I don't I don't think this is going to pan out. And when I parse my way through it, I I, I don't I don't know where I'll land on it. Um, partly for a lot of the same concussion reasons and physicality reasons of what it does to people's bodies that play it their whole life. Um, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Very interesting. But darts is the other one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what, what brand of cricket are you thinking you'll like hone in on most or is it just kind of like wherever you can find it, you're going to start watching. So I think I'm intrigued to pay attention journalism wise to test cricket because it's just a world that is weird to me like this just bad out type situation and mm-hmm. i'm still confused as to why people decide to end their innings before they can right. uh, before they bat out and things like this it's just i'm intrigued by it and i paid a little bit of attention to uh some of india's uh test series at the end of last year when sharma finally got his maiden uh, test century i believe but um mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm really intrigued to 
IPL stuff. I want to I want to really pay attention and potentially get a, a subscription to watch some IPL stuff uh, live this year. I'll split that with you. All right. You didn't hear that, Internet. We're not splitting anything, but all right. <laughs> We're family. We're family. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I got to be honest. I still don't understand test cricket. I, I don't get it fully. I like you. Um, even when I read about it, I'm like, gosh, I don't get this. I'm missing something. Well, I will say the more, like just paying attention to it a little bit helps me understand. Because I remember when I was in, when I studied abroad in England, there's this whole thing about Kevin Peterson, right? He was this massive talent for England. Uh, but every news article I ever read about him seemed to talk about how he was injured. Like that mm-hmm. was just the refrain. He was always injured. Right. Uh, and watching them play these, or you know, these uh, fifty-over matches, and then thinking about them playing, you know, four hundred overs in over three to five days, uh, I can see why they'd get injured all the damn time. Especially yeah. these bowlers. I don't know how they keep that repeatable routine going. The fast bowlers over that amount of of work rate. Right. Kevin Peterson is on um, Top Gear, right? Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen the new Top Gear stuff. I quit yeah, watching I, when they when they kicked the old folks out. Yeah, so I I think he's one of the hosts on this last year's season, uh, and he actually I I saw some of the episodes. I'm pretty sure it's Kevin Peterson. If I'm wrong here, I'll look kind of stupid. But uh, most of our listeners rate, don't know who Kevin Peterson is. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, he had an I I got caught up in his story and. He talks about that on the show, and in the lead-up to the show, he did a lot of um, interviews, and that's what he was always asked about was his cricket career, Hmm. Uh, and he kind of fulfilled the promise, but not fully kind of thing, so like his career is Mm -hmm. a little bit mired, and he didn't... um, yeah, reached the heights that Britain wanted for him. Uh, and on one of the episodes, actually, uh, they the task was or the challenge was you had to drive in um, some less developed country for like a thousand miles in your first car. <laughs> and his first car was a Porsche. <laughs> and of course. He, yeah, he 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 did it jokingly, mocking himself, uh, and he used it to talk about uh, how being kind of an up and coming, uh, hopeful star for Britain at the age of sixteen, uh, like completely Ooh. warped his view of the world. Uh, and so he's like, I was making millions of dollars at seventeen. I bought a Porsche. That's what I did. I had gold <laughs> chains and a Porsche. Um, and. At at any rate, it's 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 a maybe an example of how like when you dig into these new sports, you find a lot of like stories that can translate in no matter the context. Like the same stuff is still there. Well, it's the I remember. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll get into this or not, but I remember watching and being captivated for an hour or two by um, the netball world championships this past year. Yeah. And like what what is this game? Why is why does this exist and how does it develop in like parallel to basketball? Um, yeah. And why yeah. is New Zealand and Australia so damn good at it and nobody else? And they're playing Zimbabwe who they 
double up their score every time. Right, right. Yeah, that's fun. Interesting. Okay. Uh, what's, uh, what's the next one on your list? Probably um, starting to play more again. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been captivated by chess the past year or so. So just keeping that going. Um, and I have like a numerical goal of where I want to get to and yada, yada, yada with that. But more so to get back into playing basketball regularly and ultimate uh, regularly just because it's – I think I miss – the enjoyment that comes from actually participating in the sport, which is what gave me the love of the game to begin with. I think what stands out to me is times when in the past where I've heard you talk about having recently played basketball or recently played Mm -hmm. ultimate, the amount of joy that comes with you kind of just detailing what happened in a pickup game recently. Um, which is really powerful, I think, um, of how important and valuable it is to be on those teams just messing around. Well, I think it, it goes back to, at the end of the day, you know, we have all kinds of problems with sports. But I think that one of the things that has kept us interested, and I won't speak for you, but I think this is potentially true for both of us, is that um, it's an amazing force to bring people together in some ways. Um, mm mm-hmm that when you're on a team, there's nothing else quite like that experience of what it means to be together in that space and have a shared purpose and shared vision in that way. And I think that 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 example of that shared purpose and shared vision is something that we hope to find and we try to recreate in many other places in our lives. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think of how many of like my friends, friendships from college are connected with that. Um, and how powerful of a force that is when we're growing up, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll say my hesitancy with uh, recreational sports at this stage is injury. Mm. Um, and maybe it's a outlandish, like, unfounded fear, but I fear of uh, getting hurt. Um, and my, like, worst fear is some big muscular guy taking it too seriously uh, and hurting me in some way because he's like going 110 percent uh, in a recreational soccer game. Uh, that I'm like terrified of that. Maybe I shouldn't be. I don't know. Just think you can take him to court afterwards if he does. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I can just see you out there um, on the field and be like, dude, you need to take control of your toxic masculinity right now. This is getting out of control. <laughs> that, that's that's certainly going to work in that environment to defuse yeah. the situation. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Like, what kind of what what would what kind of injury scares you? Like, what are you thinking would happen? ACL. That's uh, one. When I when I've seen um, people our age get a a torn ACL, how much it just derails them. Uh, and like massively affects their life um not just like surgery and medical stuff but also just like um you know it makes going for a run uh really really difficult for a long time maybe if not forever um and so that would really scare me and maybe it kind of segues into my next goal um yeah um it, it, I love running, and so the segue is that not being able to run would be really bad for mm-hmm. me and my mm-hmm. mental health. 
And uh, a couple years ago, I, I think now, um, I did have a slight knee injury and couldn't run. And I think like depression was closer by for me than at any point in my adult life, not being able to go for a run. Uh, and so I, when I say like I'm, I'm scared of getting hurt in recreational sports, what I'm really saying is I'm scared I can't run, which would be to lose a, thera- mm-hmm. a therapeutic outlet. Hmm. Um, and so relatedly, I think when I kind of you, you transit one transitions into adulthood exercising without maybe noticing it <laughs> but it's quite different than the exercising we do as youth in that we don't really maybe even pay attention to exercising uh when we're kids um and it quickly becomes commodified and wrapped up in the capitalist system both in like technology and in expectations mm-hmm. for self uh, and like what you're supposed to look like and what exer- like what's a good mile time kind of thing. Uh, and so my goal for this year is to like decommodify my exercising. Interesting. Uh, and so I, I want to get to where I don't pay any attention to how far I run or how fast I run or how far I bike or how fast I bike. Uh, and so I'm going to try and do all exercising without any technological support and just pay attention to things like heart rate and how my body feels that day. Hmm. Um, so that, that's my goal. It's hard for me to do that because it's, it's also really fun to see how far you ran <laughs> and how fast you ran, but I, I think it's tainted a little bit. And so I kind of want to get away from that. You think it's tainted by the technology piece or by what, what component? Uh, it, I like, I feel exploited uh, in a way in that I'm maybe even like responding more to vanity than I am to like things like heart rate and health. Um, and, and, and like competition that is not the brand of competition. I'm, I maybe want, I don't know. I don't, I don't have complete answers on what the draw is other than um, when I think about what I believe in, I believe in like, health and wellness um, insofar as it's not attached to capitalism. Um, and so I think that's what I'm trying to decouple are those two things. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think I could do that. I think that there needs to be some metric for me. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of the reason that I want to get back into sports is because I found that I can't do the running in and of itself is not enjoyable enough for me to want to do it. So it needs to be towards another goal. I'm running or I'm exercising so I can be better the next time I play basketball or not be winded so much. Um, right. Uh, which is an interesting thing. I don't, I, and I'm wondering if there's, if you think about um, some level of self, like if you're lowering your heart rate is the metric, is that metric the can you can that make it give you the motivation without commodifying it or if there's a line in there it's just a very interesting question you've raised yeah and i i think for me it's kind it's an attempt to put a different goal in front of exercise to be so if i'm going for a run saying i'm instead of saying i'm going to run five miles today saying like I'm going to run so it feels great mm-hmm. and and have that be it. And, and or say, like, I'm going to run so I'm happier tonight. <laughs> um, 
that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Or I or make it a meditative act of I'm going to notice every step I take on this run. That's my goal for this run. Something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So is your other goal to remove all competitiveness from your life? <laughs> um, no, but it is a, a goal to avoid ESPN, <laughs> uh, uh, which is one I think we have in common. It is. I um, Yes, I have laid out, I want to find a new primary sports news source. Um, but man, it's going to be hard. I don't, it's so ingrained. I don't know if I can do it. It is. It's, that's what I think where my goal comes from is that I absentmindedly go to ESPN every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hits me some days like, what am I doing? I don't want, I don't want to be here. Um, and what stands out most is I don't want to even see headlines about football and MMA mm-hmm. anymore. I I don't want to know anything about what's going on in the sports, and their front page right now, at the height of MMA and football, is just that's almost all it is. Um, so yeah, I would love to avoid it this coming years, and and like you find a new first place to go. Uh, any ideas on what it could be? Uh, I I don't think that i know of anyone else has all those things that are not um expansive writing but the part of like sports journalism that's just reporting i don't know if anyone reports more more quickly more efficiently than espn so i think it might come with a sacrifice of like just not seeing scores in immediate major headlines as, as often Maybe. I don't know. You kept a subscription to The Athletic for a little while after we talked about it, didn't you? Yeah, I still have it. Do you find that to be an interesting place to go? No. (laughs) Like, not at all. Whenever I go there, I'm almost kind of struck by how boring it is. Interesting. Yeah. Because it's, I think, intended to build... It's intended to be that space where you can kind of build it to be your own mm-hmm. sports feed, so you don't have the other stuff on it. Um, mm-hmm. But interesting. What about you? What would be your next stop? I think I'd like to try the athletic, although you haven't filled me with a great deal of hope about it. Um, well, maybe I'm not using it right how it's meant to be used, so I can't like put a blanket statement on it. So there's probably more there that can be unpacked that I'm just not doing. Well, it's interesting too because I'm I've just pulled it up here and it's a bunch of stuff that I'm very intrigued by. You know, they've got um, transfer stuff in soccer. We've got college basketball stuff, which are kind of my two main things. But the one thing I would miss, I think, is I do like that on ESPN you'll occasionally run into weird other things that you didn't read yeah. stories that you didn't know were going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I specialize it too much, am I going to wind up in that, in that space? Right. Um, I don't know. I want it both ways. Damn it. I know it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what about you? Do you have any more? I do have one last one, which is just to kind of engage with the history of these different sports. So I have a couple books on my shelf 
in particular. One on the history of cricket, uh, a couple on the history of soccer. I got a, one on the history of chess, and then I'm, I'm dying to listen to the story of basketball from Jackie McMahon, which I've got an audio book of. Um, so I'm, my goal is to kind of make it through those and hopefully find that uh, deeper appreciation of where these sports came from in the past. Yeah, I like that. And it it's connected to one of mine. Mine's more specific is I want to read more about and understand better the history of uh, motor racing. Hmm. Um, and it, it, it comes from several things. One is, uh, well, it's again connected to another goal, which is, uh, I'm, I'm going to try and move on from formula one and I'm going to try and pay attention to formula E this year. Okay. Uh, which is the electric car, um, formula racing. Um, and it, it's, it's growing exponentially. And even this year, Lewis Hamilton said that he could see himself driving in Formula E once he retires from Formula One. And there is a push in Formula One. I think right now it's uh, it's a little bit of gaslighting, a little bit of like doing what we have to do to check the climate change box. But they're acknowledging that they're going to have to make changes. <clears throat> and that few things are as bad for the environment as <laughs> Formula One. <laughs> Um, their carbon footprint is comical of like how horrible it is um, because they have to move something like 250,000 tons of equipment every week uh, all around the world. And it, it's something like uh, 25,000 employees uh, travel for every race to you. Uh, that's not even counting the like millions of fans that come to each race. Mm. So it's it's like the worst of the worst. Um is all sports are kind of reckoning with climate change um but yeah nonetheless like uh, i think there's a lot there's a lot of fascinating stories in the history of the sport that's interesting i um i'm just amazed by the logistics of that um and it's staggering to me how many times i see something destructive and i'm still amazed by the Amer the capacity of human beings to do these things mm -hmm. um like to do that every week for formula one is staggering in the same way that when you see the hoover dam you're like oh my word we humans made that thing mm -hmm. and yet you're also like what, what we destroyed a bunch of stuff but man that's amazing we could do that thing mm -hmm. i think that's why i watched formula one to be honest with you <laughs> it's the hoover dam reason it's like, wow, this is incredible that all of this is coming together for a race. Mm. It's really incredible. Hmm. Yeah. Um, do you have any more you want to mention? I do not. Do you? No, I'm good there. All right. Well, we'll, we'll wrap up with uh, what, are, what are you looking forward to this coming week? So I love when the tennis major season starts back in and uh, connected to issues with motor racing and something that every sport is having to come to terms with is climate change and so that the australian open is getting ready to be played literally in the shade of these fires that are being exacerbated by climate change and statistics and reporting on it are just so harrowing you know half a billion animals and creatures mm -hmm. dying and hundreds of thousands of homes and millions of people affected um it's it's like 
all the other stories of these natural disasters connected to climate change and that a major tennis tournament is happening just a couple hundred miles away uh, is pretty fascinating. And you can see evidence or find interesting parts of it playing out uh, in different arenas. For example, uh, Roger Federer is being forced to respond to his endorsement uh, contract with Credit Suisse, which is one of the banks that funds most of the fossil fuel industry. Hmm. And Greta uh, tweeted at Roger Federer, and I forget now what exactly hashtag was but it kind of went viral this week of something mm. along the lines of like roger are you paying attention uh and so he came out with a statement yesterday about what he's doing to um yeah lessen his footprint and make behavioral changes because of climate change uh it is quintessential roger federer <laughs> like he says all oh, i mean he's just an incredible politician um which makes me want to give a shout out to the Dolly Parton podcast. Have you listened to it? No. Uh, it's it's really um, a, a special podcast. It's it's like a lot of those other slate podcasts that are kind of long form journalism, uh, unpacking a character. But um, she's presented in the podcast as just like this perfect politician that can be right down the middle on everything. Hmm. And Roger Federer kind of did the same thing. But nonetheless. Um, Tennis, like many other sports, are going to have to start making some changes, and it'll be fascinating to see how those play out. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. What about you? So, um, well, that's I'm just fascinated by that, particularly because it's uh, along with golf. You know, tennis and golf are kind of these sports of the elite, um, and they're the ones that have been the last to kind of face this thing. And is this a sport a way to get into that conversation with them? I, I'm intrigued by that. I, I'm not I'm never particularly hopeful with these conversations, but it is intriguing. Yeah. So there have been calls by a lot of uh, Australian citizens to cancel the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Australia is having that debate that many other sporting events have had to have at certain points in time of should we play it or should we not play it and it's that debate of like sports are an escape and those that want it to be an escape don't see any problem with it and those that are like hold up (laughs) this this is much more than that and there are much more complex issues underneath it all so it's literally the sports in society debate that's playing out Hmm. well interestingly my uh, uh my thing has some of the same elements it's very different but um the tata steel um i cannot pronounce the second half of the name of the tournament but their chess tournament is happening this year and it's kind of one of these big annual events that um kicks off the chess calendar every year but it's interesting you know in this same light that it's uh, a sponsored by tata steel which is a a major steel company around the world and they've had significant layoffs in the Netherlands, which is where this uh, is taking place. So there's this extra level of uh, interest around the very name of the event. But um, interesting, I'll be paying a bunch of attention because we'll see Magnus Carlsen potentially beat the record for longest undefeated uh, classical um, chess streak. So that's uh, potentially looking at 110 games undefeated uh, if he wins his next two. Yeah. 
Wow. And this is uh, the, this, the what everybody keeps saying is that you know the guy that held it before at 110 um, played a bunch of schmoes, and almost all of these games that Carlson have played have been against super grandmasters. So there, it's not like anybody he's played against has been right. you or me off the street for these games. Right. Where is it held? So it's a it's a it's in the Netherlands. Um, okay. Van. Do, 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 something yeah. or other you know yeah. one of those names um yeah but i uh, feel it's worth pointing out uh magnus's fantasy football absolutely how incredible is it that he's number one in the world in fantasy football although i don't know if he is as of today but no i think he's gone down but yeah same same yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, the guys, are, if you haven't seen the documentary on Netflix, go watch the documentary. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. All right, dude. Well, you want to wrap it up there? Let's do it. All right. Well, thanks, y'all, for listening to Sports and Society. I think we'll be back with you more regularly here in the next few months. So uh, we look forward to that. And uh, uh, we're, if you have anything you want to talk about for us to talk about, let us know. You know how to get in touch with us. Or at least you know how to get in touch with Kyle. Just bother him about it. So. <laughs> Uh, but in the meantime thanks y'all and thanks Kyle alright thanks man